Welcome to a podcast from the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation, where we share inspiring stories of leadership across rural, regional and remote Australia. Hi, I'm Vivian Johnson. I'm the Manager of Philanthropy at the ARLF, which includes, very luckily for me, working on some exciting projects, one of which we'll talk about that'll be of interest not just to the creatives tuning in, but to anyone passionate about their community. From an angry high school dropout and a teenage parent who thought the arts was a waste of time to a champion of regional arts, we bring you Alicia Herman. Based in Mount Gambier, South Australia, Alicia is a writer, a performance maker, a creative producer, a community organiser and a youth worker. That's quite a list. And very interestingly for me, she's also an alumni of the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. Alicia, thank you for joining me. You've got lots going on there. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's so funny to hear yourself introduced, especially with some things that are from quite a long time ago now. And you go, wow, yeah, that that is me too. You told me that you grew up on a sheep station when we were talking before we started. So it, it is quite the journey that you've had. Yeah, I've been many places. My um my dad was the my dad grew up on a farm and wanted to raise us on the farm as well, but unfortunately my grandfather sold it the year that I was born, ah. which is why we ended up going around sheep stations. Uh, my mum was a shearer's cook and my dad was a wool class on a presser, so some really really fond memories of that time, but completely different to the life that I have now. Indeed. So, Alicia, I'm really curious to know about how a self-confessed angry school dropout without with a disdain for the arts became one of its biggest champions. Can you tell me a bit about that and your circumstances that led you from that sheep station to where you are now. Yeah, so the story. (laughs) Uh, I've I've told this story in lots of different ways, so it always comes out different versions of it. But basically the story of how I got to there to where I am now. So I, when I was in high school, had a pretty terrible time. I was being pretty severely bullied. Mm -hmm. Uh, The relationship that I had with my family was not so great and it broke down over time and actually moved out of home when I was 15 um, and and left school when I was 15 as well. And then fast forward a couple of years and I then uh, had my eldest child when I was 17. And so during that time, uh, during my teenage years, I... (laughs) like the way that I saw myself and the way that I saw my future, I thought that I was worthless. I thought that I didn't have a future. And I believed that so deeply about myself, all of these negative stories that I was telling about myself, that I wasn't even looking for a future. I wasn't even looking for other options. I thought I didn't deserve them. However, when my when my baby was born, as I said, I was 17, they were sort of um, they were placed into my arms and I had this moment of going, well, I might not deserve any better, but this little baby certainly does. They didn't choose to be here. So what am I going to do? So that was the catalyst for me to decide to go back and finish high school. And I also at the same time got involved with a local health service. So that health service was doing a program, uh, which unfortunately no longer exists, but doing a program called Talking Realities. And basically that program was for teenage parents where they would train you up with some kind of some public speaking skills and then send you into high schools to talk to year 10 and 9 students about the realities of being a teen parent. So we talked about safe relationships. We talked about safe sex. Um, So, you know, that was kind of where I was up to. And that health service became a partner or supporter of a project that was happening in my local community. So uh, Riverland Youth Theatre, which is a youth arts company, 
they decided that they wanted to do a theatre project with teen parents. There was quite a few teen parents in our community at the time. So they teamed up with a, another arts company from Adelaide and started sort of pitching this project. And so the health service that I was volunteering for said to me, Alicia, look, we'd really like you to go to this first workshop for this project, um, you know, as one of our representatives and kind of make sure they're not wasting our time or our money. And I said, uh, it's an arts project. Of course they're wasting your money. <laughs> I thought it sounded ridiculous, a huge waste of time, definitely not for me. Uh, long story short, <laughs> I obviously got convinced to go to that very first workshop and that first workshop changed everything for me. It shifted my entire life. So I ended up from that very first workshop committing to the whole project, which was a year-long project, one day a week. And so this was one day a week while I was also trying to complete year 12 as a single parent of a toddler, working nights to pay the bills. So I committed to the whole project. Um, I only missed two sessions. One was for my year 12 English exam <laughs> and the other was because they sent me to Sydney for a drama camp. So I, I just went all in and that project culminated in, so there were five uh, teen parents as part of that project, including me, and a team of professional artists. And we co-created a theatre work that we uh, performed as part of a festival in both Adelaide and the Riverland in nearly 20 years ago now, 2005. So, and from that project and that experience, I went, I want to make things like this happen. So what you said that the workshop changed your life, what was it about about the workshop that did that? So the very first workshop and, and everything that came afterwards in terms of how that project rolled out, the first workshop brought together all of the teen mums, myself included, uh, some of the professional artists, and we spent the day talking, eating food, doing some what I thought at the time were just theatre games, but I now understand are actually really sophisticated ways of training. Um, and... What it did is it it made me see myself and my own story in a way that I'd never seen it before. And it made me see how powerful and how meaningful telling stories is, telling stories about who we are, about what matters to us, about the kind of future that we want to have. And so what it did is it just it just opened up a little crack and that little crack was something that then I was able to follow, that, that crack of light and, and follow to something bigger and be part of that project. So you were doing that, you're a single mum, you're educating yourself, you're just having to do the day-to-day -day things of living. How did you how did you cope with all of that? How did you <laughs> how did you juggle? Look, it was a massive year. And so by this stage I was uh, I turned 19 during the project. Uh, I was recovering from domestic violence. I was rebuilding my relationship with my parents. It was a really hard year. There's no there's no other way to describe it. It was incredibly hard. But that project, as I said, it was one day a week for a year. That project was my safe place throughout yeah. that experience. It was an opportunity to every, once a week, every week, go and be with other people who, who got it, who were experiencing similar things to me and go and be in a space where the professional artists who were in that space really pushed me. They pushed me to, to talk about things that were really difficult. They pushed me to see, like I said, see myself in a way that I'd never seen myself before and, and see that I had value. And so it really became the, the sort of, I guess, cornerstone of that year. It really was the, the foundation that got me through. Did it make you feel comfortable in being vulnerable? It sounds like you would have been in that sort of a situation. Yeah, I, I often joke to people, a big part of the project across the year, uh, we did lots of things um, and we had workshops with all sorts of different professional artists in creative writing and dance and movement and music and all sorts of things. But a, a big part of the process was actually interviewing each other. So we have hours and hours and hours of footage of all of us interviewing each other 
about our lives and I am sure that most of it is full of us crying. <laughs> it was. It was very vulnerable and it, you know, there's sometimes this thing where we are afraid of vulnerability and we mm. run from it. It's hard sometimes but it's such a human thing and it's it's really important to be able to have those conversations and talk really authentically and openly about some of the things that we all navigate, the challenges that we all navigate. And in that context, to be with this cohort of other beautiful women, you know, imagining not just our future, but the future of our children was a really powerful thing. Yeah, indeed. And do you, do you stay in contact with any of the, the people? They remain your friends? Yeah, so I um, I still have contact with all of the other participants of that project. Like I said, nearly 20 years ago, um, and a couple of them have become lifelong friends. Um, and our kids have all grown up now. My my um, eldest is turning 21 next week, in fact. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, seeing all of them grow up and have their own lives, it's yeah, it's a really special thing. So uh, uh, your description of that experience, um, the vulnerability, the challenges that you were presented there would have put you in good stead uh, when you applied to do the Australian Rural Leadership <laughs> <laughs> Program, which um, for those who may not have heard of it, is a flagship program of the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. It's a 15-month um, program that's run over a number of sessions all over Australia, brings together a cohort of up to 35 very different people. So vulnerability, I know, is a big part of that. So, so you would have breezed through the ARLP, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's really interesting, actually, because during the experience of ARLP and without sort of giving any spoilers in case anyone does the program, uh, yeah, a big part of ARLP is being authentic and being mm -hmm. vulnerable. And I definitely did come in with some strengths in that area that my co the rest of my cohort didn't all have. Yeah. And that was some of the feedback that I received from my cohort is just that the leadership that I brought was actually in that. And I think that was a really good reminder for me. And it's something that when I think about leadership, we, again, we sometimes have these kind of cultural ideas about leadership where we think about leadership as positional or being, in, you know, in a certain organisation. And I've always thought about leadership as being something that has to happen at every level. Leadership's about the way we show up in our lives, the way we show up in our relationships, the way we show up in our community. And my experience of ARLP really affirmed that for me mm -hmm. in terms of how the rest of my cohort saw me and celebrated the style of leadership I bring, which is not a stand at the front and boss people around kind of leadership. It's much more leading from the back and leading from the side. So... So were you the only person from the art sector in your cohort? Who else? What other? I was lucky enough to have two. So there were two yeah. of us from the arts. Yeah. So we were the um, the weird art people <laughs> in our cohort. Um, and again, for anyone listening who hasn't done ARLP, it's it's quite a mixed cohort. So we had people from primary industry, from government, uh, from health, all sorts of sectors and different uh, parts of all of those sectors as well. So yeah, Kathy Burns and I were the only two arts people. Um, and even Kathy, you know, the art sector itself is quite diverse. So Kathy's yeah. work in the arts was quite different from mine. Uh, but yeah, she's an incredible champion and, and her leadership in that program really inspired and informed my leadership moving forward as well. Lovely. And you were both on scholarships, weren't you? Uh we were, yeah. So we both had scholarships from a Creative Australia, formerly known as the Australia Council. And I, look, I just wouldn't have been able to do the program without that support. And I, you know, I, I talk about this all of the time. I've been lucky enough to experience both formal and informal professional development, but 
the ARLP program was the most significant professional development that I've undertaken, and not just professional development, but personal development. Uh, and the impact that it had on me, I started the program in 2016, so quite a few years ago now. Um, but I'm still, I'm still finding treasure. I'm still finding lessons from the program now. That's wonderful. So, so thinking about that, what you learned about leadership or what it, what it affirmed for you in doing the program, how does that carry over once you've graduated for the program in terms of uh, your work in the sector or your work in your community? What, what are the leadership lessons there? How do you approach it? Yeah. And, and look, everyone's experience of ARP is going to be completely different, not only because of their sector, but also the personal things that they bring in and, and the work that you have to do on yourself. A lot of leadership is about the work we have to do on ourselves. And for me, one of those big ones, partly because of my background, has always been around confidence and self-belief and Mm -hmm. backing myself and walking into a room and going, yeah, I am a high school dropout and a teen mum and I have experienced domestic and sexual violence. And those things have shaped me and shaped who I am and shaped how I see the world. And rather than that being but or in spite of, it's actually those things are part of what make me Uh, a valuable voice to have in the room. It's actually what informs my leadership. And so really owning that story and how that story shapes the way that I show up. I think one of the big things for me around ARLP and my experience is I came out the other side, partly A, just really reaffirmed how important the regions are to me. I've lived and worked in the regions nearly all of my life other than a brief four-year stint working in Adelaide. So the regions are my home and then my heart and my future. And ARLP really affirmed that for me and made me really consider what that means and what that looks like. And I would say probably um, made me want to be a bit more politically engaged, actually. And And what I mean by that is just thinking really carefully about my vote and my advocacy and the kinds of conversations that I'm having at every level. So I really came out of it wanting to be a bit more active in that sense. I also, for me, some of the lessons were about communication and how we communicate our story, which maybe seems like a funny thing when my whole work is about telling stories, but watching watching my cohort as a whole and the individuals within my cohort as well as reflecting on myself, the biggest challenge all of us have in different ways is is usually actually about communication. It's how do we how do we make sense of what's happening around us? How do we find that shared common ground? How do we ask for what we need? How do we offer what we have to offer? So I really took all of that uh, into my work in a whole bunch of different ways uh, and it's informed what I do now. So you've recently in the last year or so, moved to Mount Gambia. So how do you how do you d- take all that into a new community? What's your approach there? <laughs> I wish I had a magic answer. It's um, So I've moved to Mount Gambia last year from my home community in the Riverland and it's been a really interesting process because, and anyone who's had a significant move will know what I'm talking about, but in some ways it uh, triggered a bit of an identity crisis about who I am and what <laughs> I'm doing um, because 
as so much of my work is tied up in place and in those long-term relationships. So to come into a new community that's uh, quite different in a lot of ways. So for anyone that doesn't know the Riverland or Mount Gambier, they're both uh, regional communities in South Australia, but they're quite different from each other. And Mount Gambier is a lot bigger and it has a lot of things uh, that the Riverland doesn't have. So tangible things like a professional art gallery. The Riverland doesn't have one. Mount Gambia has one. Mount Gambia has a lot more cafes. It has <laughs> traffic lights. <laughs> um, so, it, it, you know, it's a much bigger community and it's been really interesting to come into that space and go, okay, what is my role here? What are the ways that I might contribute? How does my work interact in this community? And what are the opportunities for exchange and collaboration and bringing back and between in my Riverland community as well, because I'm still continuing to work in that community. So I don't actually have an answer yet. I'm exploring that. I'm discovering that right now. And um, yeah, I I was talking to a friend actually about my experience of moving to Mount Gambia and just how much I'm enjoying being able to rock up at arts events where I don't have to organise anything. I can just be the participant, whereas in the Riverland, I'm often the organiser. And I sort of said, I feel, I feel a bit guilty. Like I'm you know, I'm enjoying it too much. I'm sort of being disloyal to the Riverland. <laughs> and my friend said, it's a little bit like you're in a long-term relationship with the Riverland, but the Riverland's not quite ready to commit. So you're having a bit of a fling with Mount Gambia. And I thought that was a really fun way to look at it. <laughs> Very good. So, so tell me a bit more about what you're actually doing in Mount Gambia. What's, what's your day-to-day there and, and the interplay of leadership in the community? Yeah, so my day-to-day work, I, uh, for the last few years, have worked in statewide positions for a number of organisations, including some peak youth arts bodies, some regional arts bodies, uh, and also some small to medium organisations. So at the moment, I'm actually working a couple of days a week for Riverland Youth Theatre, which is the company that started my journey, as I was talking about before. So I'm working for them remotely, and that's also been interesting for a company of that size. Uh, And then the rest of the time I work for myself. So I have my own business as a creative um, and I work mostly as as a writer. A lot of my income comes in and also as a performance maker and creative producer. And so I've had a a bunch of projects this year that have been continuing on from the last couple of years. So I had a play on in Adelaide as part of a festival, which... Um, excitingly, has just been announced as a finalist in an award. Oh, fabulous! Yeah. Congratulations! So we'll find out on the eighth of December if we if we're the winners. But um, so it, you know, projects working in the arts, I think, and again, if you haven't worked in the arts sector, you might not be familiar with this. But you're always working this really long term way. So you're always planning long, long, long term. So coming into a new community, it's almost like I'm starting that cycle from the beginning because projects like Goosefrack, which was the player I had in Adelaide, that started way back in 2019. So projects have a slow burn and you're always building things at various stages of development. And that's about funding cycles. It's about partners. It's about building relationships because um, the kind of work that I do in particular uh, you know, I, as I said, I'm a writer, performance maker, creative producer. That's, you know, my job title. That's what it says on the CV. And that's, but that's not necessarily actually what the work is. And what I mean by that is the work is actually about community building. The work is actually about imagining and creating the future. It's about documenting and celebrating and making sense of the present. And it's about understanding and honouring the past. And the arts is just the tool that I used to do that because that's what I happen to have skills in. But the work is actually about community building. And so 
I'm doing that work all of the time, no matter what particular label I'm wearing or what particular organisation I'm attached to at any given time. And so the kinds of conversations that I'm starting to have in Mount Gambia are about what is happening in this community? What are the stories this community wants to tell? What are the stories that this community doesn't want to tell but maybe needs to talk about? What are the you know, the histories that we need to make sure aren't forgotten. What kind of future do we want to have? So I'm asking all of those questions and really just listening at the moment. Um, I'm also having some really fun conversations with my long-term collaborators. So I uh, I have a nine-year-old now as well with my beautiful husband and my nine-year-old is incredibly creative uh, and frequently gives me the most amazing pep talks. (laughs) And so we have decided that we're going to make a show together called Consult a Kid, which is about exploring the relationship that adults and children have and how actually children have so much to teach us. Fabulous. I I can just see in your face the joy that that brings you. So that's what must um, motivate you and see you through what, let's face it, could be challenging and difficult times working in in the art sector, financially, just the frustration. So is, is that what gets you through it? Just Yeah, the work, uh, you know, I think every sector has challenges and working in the arts, one of the big challenges, you know, the, the public challenges people talk about are, is often about funding and look, that's an issue in education, in health, in many, many sectors. One of the big challenges is actually the way that the arts is sometimes treated from outside the sector where it's kind of treated as this optional extra or this fluffy thing that's not really important. And that can sometimes be, um, (laughs) it can be really frustrating, especially when I'm there working in a grassroots way with my community, seeing the life-saving, life-changing impact that it has. And so that in itself is what's rewarding. I'm in the room watching people discover their confidence, discover their voice. You know, I see them enter a project frightened, doubting themselves, and I see them exit a project ready to take on the world. And that, yeah, I, I can't even put into words how incredibly rewarding that is. And that's what keeps me coming back. I um, my, So my husband is a high school teacher and he knew in year six that he was going to be a high school teacher. He's just always known, very, very clear line of sight. Obviously, I've gone around and around in circles trying to figure out what I'm doing. And I still do. I still go, maybe I should retrain as a social worker. Maybe I should go back to uni and become a lawyer. I'm always kind of doing this circle about where can I have the most impact because that's what I care about. I care about impact. And as much as I keep going around in circles sometimes or going, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that, and I could do lots of things, I keep coming back to the arts because I see the difference that it makes. I see the impact that it makes every day and... Yeah, it is. I, so I guess rewarding. you had that pivotal moment when you were nineteen. That was a young age, but that that set you on that course. It's it's a fabulous story. A recent um, report that came out from Regional Arts Australia found that regional uh, Australians overwhelmingly believe artists make an important contribution to society, and that arts have a big impact on stimulating stimulating our minds. Have you got any any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I'm not surprised uh, because even people who think they don't engage with the arts usually do. We are all walking around or most of us are walking around with these little computers in our pockets where we we play music, we watch TV, we watch <laughs> films, all of which is created by artists, even the clothes that we wear, you know, designers. Um, so the arts is embedded into everything that we do. And when I think about the arts and culture in regional communities, 
Sometimes our access to those things isn't quite as equitable as some of our city counterparts. We don't necessarily have the same kind of infrastructure. As I said, living in a bigger regional community at the moment, I have access to a bunch of infrastructure that my smaller community didn't have. And so whenever I'm thinking about arts and culture and the kind of access that we have in our communities, I'm always thinking about what is it what does it look like in each individual community and how do we showcase and profile the artists that are here working? Because no matter where you live, I promise you, there is an artist among you, um, even if you don't know it. Um, many people have artistic practices on the side or, or maybe making incredible work outside of their communities because that's the reality for a lot of artists as well is that we live and work in the regions but our work might actually be happening elsewhere. As I said, my play this year was premiered in Adelaide, not in any of the communities I live <laughs> in. Um, and so I, I think um, to me what I always want to see and what I what I think about for the future is that we need artists just as much as we need plumbers and bakers and butchers. Like every community deserves to have artists and art making happening where we live in the way that's right for our community. You know, I don't need a, a, a huge butcher in my tiny little community, but I definitely want access to a butcher. And in the same way, I definitely want to make sure that there's artists and art making happening in my community. Um, so that's, you know, when I reflect on what that looks like, I'm always thinking about that. And for me, especially because I am a regional artist, that priority of regional stories being told by regional people. So we unfortunately, or not unfortunately, let me rephrase that. We sometimes get a lot of uh, city-based artists touring their shows or their exhibitions or whatever it is to our communities. And I love that. I love being an audience for other people's work. So I, I definitely don't want that to stop. But sometimes that takes over or it gets prioritised over regional artists and regional voices and the work of organisations like Regional Arts Australia, which, you know, has been such a huge supporter of my work, is about making sure that regional stories are told by regional people because we know our communities, we know the stories that need to be told and we understand the kind of conversations that we need to have. So that's a really important thing to me in the kind of work that I make. Yeah, I'm really pleased to hear you talk about Regional Arts Australia in that way because earlier this year, the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation, our organisation, uh, has entered into a partnership with RAA, Ros Abercrombie, and the, and the team there. And we're actually working on a project. It's called the Regional Creative Industries Leadership Project. We do love a, love t a long title at the, um, the ARLF. And um, it's early stages yet, but there are going to be two components to that. Uh, the first is what we're calling a leadership action initiative, we'll, where we'll bring together people like you, as well as people from diverse industries in regional Australia to talk about some of the opportunities and challenges for the creative industries and mapping out a way forward for that. And then the other um, exciting aspect of that project is a leadership program, which is what we do very well. But this one will be specifically for people uh, living, working in regional, remote, rural Australia and who um, are contributing to the creative industry sector. So as someone who's done one of our programs, I've got no doubt that that would be of interest to you and, and other alumni like you. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. And that teaming up with Regional Arts Australia, who obviously have that expertise in arts and, uh, you know, the artistic ecology and the sector and some of the challenges that we have that are specific to working in the arts, combined with ARLF's, you know, leadership experience and the incredible programs that ARLF runs, I think it's really a match made in heaven. 
And, you know, one of the things that I benefited from it doing uh, ARLP was that it wasn't specific to my sector and that it was uh, people from all sectors, but there's also so much value in being with other people who are facing the same challenges you, as you, sorry, navigating that same sector. So I think it's a really exciting thing in terms of developing the leadership in the regional arts sector over the coming years. Yeah. And um, just on a final note, is there one piece of advice, I'm sure you've got many pieces of advice, but one piece of advice you'd want to share to those that are wanting to have a meaningful impact in their community, just as you are, Alicia? Oh, that's such a hard question because as soon as someone goes, do you have any good advice? You just have a complete mental blank and any <laughs> advice you've ever given anyone just flies out of your head. Um, but I think the thing I would I would most say to people is, uh, and again, you know, reflecting on some of my journey and my experience is to keep showing up. Even if you think you're not good enough to be in the room, that you don't have anything to of value to add, you absolutely do. And actually the fact that you feel that way means that you've got a lot to add because it's really, really vital that we have lots of different perspectives and experiences sitting at every decision-making table at every level. So, yeah, my, my biggest thing is, is to keep showing up um, and to re- remember that your voice needs to be in the conversation and also to think about who else isn't at the table and how can you invite them to the table. That's a great piece of advice. Thanks very much for that, Alicia. Well, what a, what a fascinating story you've got to tell. And I feel like today we've probably only just touched on it, but the, the experience of, of your um, your youth and when you're a young adult and how you drew upon adversity and uh, to where you are today, it's a, it's a truly inspirational story. And um, the RLF is very fortunate to have you as a member of our alumni and a very um, engaged and connected member. So thank you so much, Alicia, for sharing your story, being so open with us today. And we also want to thank those of you who've joined us and we hope that Alicia's story has inspired you. I've got no doubt that it has. If you'd like to know more about the ARLF's partnership with Regional Arts Australia, head to the link attached to the episode notes. And if you're inspired by Alicia's story to do more in leadership yourself for your community or your industry, you can find out how by visiting our website, that's rural-leaders.org.au. Another way you can stay up to date is by subscribing to our fabulous monthly newsletter um, and following us on socials. This has been Vivian Johnson from the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. Thanks for listening.